Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to This Moment. And this moment is your transatlantic bridge connecting Harlem, New York, the United States to Stockholm, Sweden, and the rest of the world. My name is Jason Timbuktu Diakite, and as always, I'm here with my brother and co-host, Chef Marcus Samuelson. And today, dear listeners, is a very big day because Marcus is in Stockholm. I'm actually in Malmo, which is in the south of Sweden, where I come from. And with Marcus in the studio in Stockholm, we have a very special guest. I would say maybe Northern Europe's funniest man who's still alive. Uh, I consider him a dear friend, even though he's been making fun of me for years. Uh, he's a little younger than me, but he's catching up on the gray hairs. No, but seriously, seriously good people we have one of sweden's biggest radio personalities big tv star funny man humanist comedian beautiful soul mr kojo akolor welcome to this moment i want well, to say hello to america it's uh, very fun to be talking on uh, a lot of you uh, I know you well. The guns. I'm not gonna talk about the guns because you like them so much. So I, I just want to say, wow, America, and thank you for the hot dog and the hamburger, which is originally from Germany. But whatever, who cares? You know, it's it's just food. Kojo, well, brother, Kojo. how are you feeling today? Uh, it's Friday. I'm good. I'm wearing my Wakanda t-shirt. Yes. Forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm good. You know, it's uh, gonna go out to my country house uh, with my family. My wife asked if I wanted to stay home and she could go up with the kids. And I knew that's a trick that's a, question. That's a, that's a very <laughs> Swedish. It's very Swedish to have a country house. I mean, I, I don't yeah. have one myself, but like all my uh, Swedish friends, they, they're either they have country houses or they're dreaming of having country houses. Well, I think the thing is like with the Swedish country houses, you know, it's usually like my great, great grandfather bought the plot of land. And now we have a mansion. <laughs> living in this house whereas for the mm-hmm. rest of us it's like yeah my great great grandfather was a slave so i'm happy for your grandfather <laughs> <laughs> but what i what i love about yeah. when you bought your house when you bought your house you know as an immigrant swede as a foreign as a bipoc as a black swede you know i really could relate to that you you posted when you bought it and you really mm-hmm. posted mm-hmm. something that was came from the heart and it was really about kind of i made it you know, and I, I just felt like it was such a heartfelt post. And, uh, you know, why did you decide to do that? Because like you said, like a lot of people you work with, a lot of people just take it for granted. Mm-hmm. But this clearly was something, meant something to you, right? Oh, well, I think like the gist of it, I'm not like huge on doing stuff on Instagram. But at once, like when we stepped into the house and we were looking through everything, I just, you know, got reminded of um, my journey. I mean, this year I turned 40. Yeah. Um, Congrats. You guys did this like, I don't know, 10, 15 bro, years bro, ago. Bro. So, I mean, it's a The guns are coming it's out. Low, it's a distant memory for y'all. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 You I'm just, just wait. warming up with the yeah. old jokes. You just yeah. wait, yeah. man. No. No, but so I don't know. For me, it was like, I just remember, you know, growing up, all my friends, like we mentioned, like for those of you who don't, not from Sweden, it's a thing. Like every sweet summer, first of all, Sweden has something they call like the industrial summer. That means like for four weeks, everybody's gone. Uh, if you can leave wherever you're from, you go to your summer house. And for me, nobody works. Meet, meet my friends. Yeah, mm-hmm. I meet my friends. They're like, we're going to the summer house. And I'm like, they were like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I'm going to hang around in the playground <laughs> yeah. myself. Maybe I find a pine cone, make a horse out of it. I don't know. The options are endless. Mm-hmm. And 
some odd 30, 40 years later, I'm sitting in my summer house. My kids mm-hmm. are telling other kids, we're going to the summer house. And for me, that was an achievement in itself for Absolutely. me and my wife. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I and hear it's that. It's really a class, it's a class journey. And I just think that it's yeah. heartfelt. And I think you got a lot of response to it. So uh, I got to start from the beginning. Shoot. Uh, Valentuna is yeah, not Ga- Valentuna is not Ghana. Your origins are from Ghana. Mm-hmm. Talk to me. What tribe? Was it your mom, your dad? Tell us the whole thing. Well, uh, my mother is from uh, a tribe called the Gonjas. They live mm-hmm. in the northwest. Probably getting this wrong. We'll yeah. say the north of Ghana. Yeah. <clears throat> and mm-hmm. um, my father is from a clan called the Ashiamatu clan, which is up in the northeast of Ghana, pretty close to the border of Togo. You can actually walk from his village to Togo oh, wow. uh, in like mm-hmm. the space of like an hour, two hours. And they both grew up there. Um, when, and I mean, they grew up in a colony. It was a British colony at the time when they were growing up. And when they were in their like eight or nine years old, uh, Ghana became independent. Yeah. So they grew up like in Africa's first independent country. Well, first country that has actually been colonized and then got free through independence. And through that, they went to college, went to school. My daddy joined the military. Uh, when he was in the military, uh, him and his uh, compatriots uh, performed, performed. Yeah, they performed the military coup. We are going to what? take over the country. Hey, hey, with some guns and stuff. Good performance. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, so uh, they did a military coup. He was a part of that coup. Wow. And um, once he realized that, I mean, the, the government that they started was corrupt. He was like, I'm out. I'm going to college. Went to college, and during his time in college, there was a coup on their uh, government. It was a hot. It was the, it was the, like it was the latest thing in Africa. Coups yeah. was the ish. Mm-hmm. So um, then he traveled to Sweden, got a job. They came here, and he came here in '79. My brother and my mother came here here in '80. Uh, they made sweet, sweet love one more time, and I was born in '81. Wow! Big when story. you guys were in your thirties. And when when you were born, so, and and you lived in Valentina from, from zero years. Yeah. 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 More or less. We grew up, I grew up first in a close in another like town called Tabby. And then when I was six, uh, when I was three or four, my parents divorced. When I was five, I remember I came home from kindergarten one day and there were like moving trucks outside the house. And I was like, what's with the moving trucks? And my mom was like, we're leaving today and we're moving. Uh So I was like, Okay. Shit. Um, then we moved and then I stayed in Valentina from six until it was 23. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist-approved, so fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Wow. Mm. I just want to ask you about a couple of things, right? Sure. Ghana's food mm-hmm. is incredible. Yeah. Right? The peanut soup, 
kenke, which is really like a tamale, fermented tamale in a way, right? Yeah. Porridge is. Uh, your mom back in the 80s, where did she get the ingredients to get those sort of West African staple things? She must have hustled like crazy to get the stuff, right? No, um, well, back in the 80s, they couldn't get everything. So what they did was they made kind of a Swedish Ghana fusion. Yes, uh, yes, talk so, to me. So like if you take um, banku, which is one of the big staple foods of uh, Ghanaian cuisine, it's basically like imagine you make like a dough of bread, mm-hmm. all right? And you put it down to like uh, to yeast. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's basically what banku looks like. It big, looks like a big ball of dough. But it's made out of cocoa yam and cassava, and they pound. First, they boil it, and then they pound it until like this big, sticky, like you know, dough. Mm-hmm. And then you eat that for different soups and stews. And the thing is, you couldn't get cocoa yam, you couldn't get cassava in Sweden. So what they did was that they took, um, like um, when you were making mashed potatoes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mashed potato powder with starch. You mix mm-hmm. that, and you get like a sticky mix, and that is the Swedish variation of fufu. Mm-hmm. Then there's mm-hmm. another one called banku. And that one, instead of using uh, cassava, they used um, mamna green. Oats, mm-hmm. kind of like yeah, oats, but oats, not oats. Yeah. No, 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 grits. Semolina. Grits. Semolina or grits. Yeah, yeah semolina. Yeah, grits, mm-hmm. by the way, so gross. Sorry. Just had to put it out there. It's weird. It's it's salty. In Sweden, it's salt sweet. In Ghana, you make it in, or in Sweden, we make it into like this like citrusy, acidic um, kind of dough that you eat with my mouth watering. With that you eat with mm-hmm. stews and stuff. What's mm-hmm. not, what's Polka not soup. Uh, uh, like that. Yeah, is, man. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> the peanut soup is amazing that comes from Ghana. Yeah, the peanut soup is amazing. But for me, I grew up, Jason mentioned okra soup. Like it's, mm-hmm. for me, that's, that's, that's my jam. That's like one of my earliest memories of growing up was my mom take, making banku and then she makes, because you make like small little balls out of them, especially for kids mm-hmm. since I can't cut the food myself, as they say. And then I just sit and eat it. And okra is sticky and slimy and shit. So you just sit and... Ah, nice. and over. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's it. Mm-hmm. And oxtail or goat meat. That's uh, Oxtail is good stuff, man. Yeah. Oh, so for me, like, going to Ghana, the first time I traveled there, that was when I realized, like, oh, shit, this is how it's supposed to taste. Like, that mm-hmm. was a huge experience. But you say growing up in Valentina, like your house, your parents' house, it was, mm-hmm. it was Ghanaian culture. You were eating Ghanaian food. I mean, or did your mom make shatbullah and uh, meatballs and, and, uh, and uh, were you eating herring for Christmas and stuff? Or was that like, nah? My mom's yeah, not yeah. here. None of y'all better show this podcast, but her Swedish food is terrible. <laughs> But she tried. She tried. She tried. Like, she I tried. want she meatballs. Could, I want meatballs. She could make pancakes. Her pancakes were okay, but like her meatballs, they oh were. Just, it was just terrible. What? You know, it's as close. Like <laughs> you know how Eddie Murphy joked about like this ain't no hamburger. Yeah. For me, it was like this is not a meatball, man. Like you know, you stick your fork in it and you lift it up and it fall apart. Oh my god! And my mom was, and she just looked. Is there a problem with the meatball? Could you? I'm like, no, look, it's delicious. I love meatballs. This is she probably didn't put pork in them. You needed fat. Right? No, no, no. And my mother's Muslim too. So yeah, so she her, didn't put pork in no, it. I know. Haram! No. Um, <laughs> That's the thing. But uh, no, so for me, like Swedish cuisine was something I had at my friend's house. Yeah. And then she'd try, she can make an okay lasagna. But generally, like her thing was making, you know, Ghanaian food. And that for yeah. me became a huge interest when I was growing up because I'd always stand next to her and she was in the kitchen and watch her make this food. So, like, for me, as fast as I moved away from home, then you start learning because. In Ghana, food is all about, like, it goes in generations. She learned from her mother, who learned from her mother, who learned from her mother. So for me, I learned from my mother, and then now started, like, showing the kids the basics of, like, making stews and soups and stuff. 
And there's still stuff that I'll never figure out because it takes 10,000 hours I don't have to make it perfectly. But for me, growing up in Balantun, it was like, it's hard to explain in a sense what it is to grow up in a country, identify yourself as that nationality, but you also have another nationality. Like when you go out, go outside of the door, <clears throat> you're first and foremost, unfortunately, you're black. That's the first thing. Um, but when you're at home, then you're part of a community and a context where everybody understands the food, everybody understands the culture, and you have to stand in between these two cultures and find your own kind of way to, like, land on your own identity and what it means to be just you, a society that, especially in the 80s and 90s, didn't accept you at all. What about so, music-wise in the household? In you know, Because with the... I mean, my mom didn't allow me to listen to Swedish music. Mm. Don't listen to that nonsense. We got Bob here. <laughs> you know, this is Marvin. But yeah. like in your household, was it what we know today as Afrobeats, right? Mm. But besides sort of like, was it Fela? Was it, can I t- tell me a little bit about the sounds at home? The sounds at home was mostly uh, what they, now they have something in Ghana, Ghana that they call uh, hip life. Um, but back sure. in the day when I was growing up, it was high life. That high was life. what they listened to. High so life, stuff like. Yeah. Miriam Makiba, Phil yes. Kuti, uh, a lot of James Brown, uh, a lot of Marvin Gaye, a lot of Ray Charles, and all these things mixed. And of course, like mm-hmm. when Michael stepped into the scene, don't watch the documentary, it's going to ruin your relationship to Michael Jackson. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> I, I believe. I, no, I'm just kidding. No, I'm kidding. No, okay. no, 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 no. No. He's a comedian. He can say anything. You brought me on to this yes, show. He can say anything. He knew what was going to happen. Yeah, exactly. I'm kidding. I'm yeah. kidding. I was, I was yeah. actually on an, I was on an Italian airline a couple of months ago. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I think it was called Fly Italia or something. And, and mm-hmm. during takeoff and during landing, guess what they were playing? I believe I can fly. I guess they were just like, it doesn't matter. The song's too good. We're keeping it. The song's too good. It fits exactly what we're doing. It's not Italian, so it is not our problem. (laughs) I'll be honest with you. Welcome to Fly Italia. We'll be playing Kelly because he was a black and he did the black people. Honestly, for me, I I, I can never stop listening to Michael Jackson. I mean, in that case, I just have to, you know, I just have to separate, separate you know, uh, the, mu- the music yeah. from whatever he did, you know, on his free time. Anyway, moving on. Anyway, we have a very special <laughs> guest <on>. here. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> the, the musical influences for me, there were it was a lot of yeah, it was a lot of mix, and especially a lot of a lot of um, um <laughs> what's his name? James Brown. James Brown. Yeah. Of, course, um, of course. So yeah, so it was mostly it was a lot of James Brown, and like for Christmas. I remember this, and I and I do it myself now every year. My mother loved Jim Reeves. Like we'd play Jim, ding a ling a ling, dashing through the snow. <laughs> that was Christmas for me, and she mm. also loved uh, Paul Anka. That was okay. one of her favorites. Mm. She was like, mm. whatever Sinatra. Paul Anka is oh, could you mm-hmm. Paul Anka? Ooh, he is so it's sexy. Rock and roll. I need to know. Yeah, it's too much information. Polanka actually, speaking about Michael, Polanka actually wrote one of the last uh, Michael exactly. songs, actually. On the last exactly. Yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Bringing that up. Um, can I ask you another food question then, Jason? Sure. Like, in the 80s, mm-hmm. you know, Swedes went through, you know, fathers were making, Swedish people were making pizzas or, you know, like, gar- you know, like, it was this evolution. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, this dish came called 
Flying Jacob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here's my thing, right? Who yeah. was Jacob and who was flying? And yeah. I realized that was Sweden's first, you know, sort of relationship with some th- food from Africa in a way. Because mm-hmm. it had peanuts in it. And it was just bananas, bananas in it. Yeah. And I was like, wait a minute. This is not Af- what, what part of Africa? So, so, what are we so talking about? We got to explain, though, that a flying Jacob then is like what they call Canadian bacon or called cassler in Swedish. So sliced mm-hmm. pork, you put the sliced pork in a, a oven, you know, in a, in, a, in a form that you can put in the oven. You cover it with, I think, sliced bananas, peanuts, and then some kind of unidentified sauce, right? Yeah. But isn't yeah. it like mashed potatoes? Yeah, but here's my point. Yeah. Just that what Jason just said, it's a pork-based dish. Like, right there, it wouldn't be an African dish. Mm. You know, a lot of Africans would be like, I'm not going to touch it. I think it, was, I think it was judged African because there was bananas in it. And bananas... Yes, yes the bananas. Yeah. Even though bananas are from South America, somehow they're, they're back in the days, very uh, uh, tightly identified as, oh, but people in po- Africa eat bananas. Point, mm-hmm. My point about this dish, I actually think it explains Sweden's relationship with Africa, exactly. Mm-hmm. It is so far away from what it actually is. And then all of a sudden, people, you know, so people like you, Jason, people like you, Kojo, and myself become sort of the bridges in a way and explain mm-hmm. and understanding. I remember playing soccer when I was 11 years old. And if I fell and I started to bleed, the kids ran up to me and said, like, oh, I didn't know your blood was was red. Mm-hmm. For yeah, yeah, I got that question it's too. so far and the, the identity, the idea of what is the whole point about being black versus what it is, is very different. So mm-hmm. you touched a little bit about identity and navigating that. How did you navigate in school and how did you navigate through that? Well, I think for me, like, thankfully, growing up in Valentina, like, when I was growing up, first of all, there weren't, wasn't a bunch of ni- ni- minorities in Valentina. There were, was, you know, like a lot of Persians. And I'm, when I'm saying a lot, I'm talking like three families. Uh, Chileans, maybe three families. One family from Ghana. One of my best friends, he's half Swedish, half Portuguese. I had friends from Poland. So, like, it was like, like a mixed pot of ethnicities. And, you know, you go to your friend's house. And if I go, went to my Persian friend, then I'd eat, like, kebab kubideh. And I was a chubby kid, so I loved food. Or if I went to my Portuguese friend, then his father would make, like, calvinalos, uh, which is amazing. Or if I went to, like, my Polish friends, they would make, like, borscht. And, you know, you get yes. to try all these yes. different things. And if Ooh. they came to my house, then the gateway to Ghanaian cooking is jollof rice. That's where you like mm-hmm. people into the mm-hmm. heavier stuff. You get to try it first once for free. And then <laughs> after that, you start paying. You understand? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Me to get a Ghanaian and dark on. I'll get you some jollof rice. You understand? But here's, here's five pounds, 25 pounds. Give me and enjoy your jollof. <laughs> so it was always jollof rice. And the thing, and with jollof rice, it's basically like you make like a tomato stew and you boil rice in the tomato stew. So it like sucks mm-hmm. in all the juice and stuff. You add that with fried chicken. It's a black thing. We love it. What can we say? Chappelle told us. That was a realization for me. I'm like, I thought it was just us. <laughs> <laughs> and then with that, you have something called shito, which is like a really strong paste made of shrimp and spices that you boil down until it becomes super fucking hot and spicy. And you add that to the rice. And I'd always like, and you always have that friend who's like, I love spicy food. I love spicy food. And like, you're going to get to try African spicy food. And for me, exactly. like sometimes Next my level. mom would overdo it. Yeah, so even even my mom would overdo it with the spices. Uh-huh. So you know, you know, you're eating a Ghanaian meal when you, you have to like, like well, it's, it's good, but it's it's like if you're not sweating when you're eating, then it's not good for you. Then it's mm-hmm. then it's not spicy. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. Like you're hoping that oxygen mm. will cool down the burning sensation in your mouth. So for me, it was navigating, mm. navigating like different food was always about like, come in, try it. And then there's also something that you just like, you'd walk into um, the apartment building and the whole, like the whole hall would be stinking. And you're like, oh shit, mom is making, mom is making dried fish chew. And it just, it mm-hmm. just smells. Stock yeah. fish. So those are the stock kind of, yeah, those are the kind of things you know? you're like, yeah, you're like, mm. <laughs> I always thought, like, for you. me, especially when growing up, like, food is the easiest way to meet prejudice. I mean, like, it's the easiest way for somebody who has an idea of what African food is or what the idea of mm. African food is. It's like this. I can't say it's African. It's definitely from Ghana. Yeah. Try it. And they'll be like, oh, my God, this is great. And I'm like, I know, mm. right? And then you mm. learn something. And that, I think, is the first step mm. towards, like, like, lessening an idea of something. Because at the end of the day, prejudice is all about a lack of knowledge. Mm. Or knowledge mm. that you've received from somebody who does not know what they're talking about. Like, oh, well, you know, all blacks are like this, or all Muslims are like this, or, you know, all Jews are like I, this. I, but I, it, it never ceases to amaze me how, in Sweden and in many other countries, people are very open to consume other, uh, consume, you know, music <laughs> or food from other mm-hmm. cultures, mm-hmm. but not be in community with uh, uh, people mm-hmm. from other cultures. Like, we, Swedes, I mean, a few countries in the world that like loves coffee on the level that Swedes mm-hmm. love coffee. Very few Swedes realize that coffee is from Ethiopia. And a lot of people might be a little apprehensive if the, if the Ethiopian po- uh, person became their neighbor all of a sudden, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just saying that there's a, uh, there's a discrepancy. There's, there's a, you know, there's a gap between our willingness to listen to, say, black music, which mm-hmm. is... Worldwide, black music is the most loved music, like worldwide, bar none. Even people who don't like black people, they got to admit they love, you know, they love black music. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, I don't like blacks. I like rock and roll. Shit is black. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Exactly. Exactly. Sorry that shit for so, I'm sorry. You know, there, there's something about, you know, how uh, like Indian food or Italian food or even even African food, they, you know, mm-hmm. People can love it, eat it up, love to taste something exotic, you know, something new. But uh, being in community with that, with, with with the people where that culture comes from, is a whole different ball of wax. That that seems to be uh, very difficult, you know, uh, to overcome. But, but it that's why I do think these bridges, someone like Kojo, is so important because absolutely, you know, making people laugh, mm-hmm. right? That is such a powerful, powerful thing. Because now, you know, your guard is total down. Eating, listening to music, mm-hmm. or Jason and I do. You make people laugh. Now your guard is down. Mm-hmm. Like, as an immigrant, you know, your mom came, she hustled. Your dad came to hustle. Real, real. They, they made it. You guys went to school. Mm-hmm. I guess a not so popular day is like, screw this. I'm going to become a comedian. How, how was that day? Um... <laughs> Oh my God, I remember this uh, because like when I was in college, right? I, or actually even in high school, I spent a lot of time just hanging out. I was great at hanging out. <laughs> hanging out. I can hang out. I'm a professional hanger-outer. Um, and when I started college, um, I was studying economics. Turns out, I, I mean, I was better. I hung out a lot in college. And it reached a point where I would fail one of my classes and I'm like, okay, fine. I'm going to like pause this semester. You know, just, you know, and I started doing stand-up at the time. So, like, I'm just going to, I'm going to do one semester. I'm just going to try stand-up and see where it leads me. Because it had always been a dream for me. Ever since I saw Eddie Murphy, uh, which I, who 
I think is he's like the father of a generation. Of course. Um, the same way I think today Dave Chappelle and Kevin Hart are trailblazing for other young black comedians. And I mean, don't just mean in the States, in the world. Um, you connect with somebody who, even if they're not from your culture, they don't like have the same references you do. You can identify with them just because of the color of their skin and the way they talk and the way they joke about things. So for me, like seeing that was, and I'd always been like a funny kid. Mm-hmm. So for me, once I started doing stand-up, I was like, all right, I'll try this out. Once I'm just going to try it for six months and then I'm going to go back to school. And at the end of these six months, I got my first TV gig. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, but I'd been doing it for maybe like a year and a half, two years before that. Uh, and I remember calling my mom and I was like, yeah, uh, I got this TV gig. And she's like, are you going to go back to school? Because for my parents, school yeah, was super important. Uh, so I was like, yeah, I'm just going to finish this TV gig. And then after that, I'm going back to school. So six months became a year. At the end of the TV gig, <clears throat> they asked me if I wanted to what do was a the TV morning gig? show. Uh, it was uh, Sweden's Got Talent, 2008. Uh, All right. I, I, All right. Yeah. yeah. So I worked with like interviewing people. Who said, like, you know, I can make a weird nose with my, sound with my nose. I'm like, that's an amazing talent. Let's see more, guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> good luck to you. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I did that. Yeah, I did that for like uh, three months. And then I did an interview on Swedish radio. Uh, and after that, they were like, could you come in for a week and just like be uh, come in for a week and do like one week of the show? I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll do a week. Did a week. And then at the end of the summer, they're like, do you want to become a regular on the show? Like one of the hosts. And then I called my mom. But, but time, time out. Yeah, yeah. Time out. Time out. So you're doing this without an agent. Yeah. You just like people are calling you and, and you do like... When you did your first stand-up gig, yeah, how did you feel? Like, like, how did you break that? You must have been so nervous. I don't know if you guys have had the same experience. Like, I don't know if, like, if you know, once you're out of like restaurant school and you actually made your first dish and it yeah. goes out into the room and you're standing there, like, please don't puke. Or the first time you're like actually going to drop some bars in front of people, Jason. You know, it's it's uh-huh. it's a tremendous anticipation because. I think at the end of the day and what we do, we all create. We're all working with, create, with creativity in different ways. And at the end of the day, we're stepping into the arena. Mm. We're stepping into the arena and we're telling the world to judge us. Judge me. Judge me for what I believe is oh. musical. Judge me for what I believe is delicious. Judge me for what I believe is funny. And in that moment, right before you open your mouth, right before you say your first bars, right before you serve that plate, the anticipation in that tense, tense, tense moment is enormous. And for me, it was about standing behind, standing backstage, waiting for it, for them to announce me. And they totally butchered my name. Um, it was like, and here he comes. Kojo, pop, laka, blow, blow, blow. I'm like, okay, whatever. And I go out and I, and I, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, block like, it out, block yeah. it out. Yeah. And, and then I remember like right before I stepped on, I was like, and then I started praying. Like you always do. Like, I don't believe in people who, like, are agnostics or atheists. They're like, I don't believe in God. Like, when shit hits the fan, we all pray. Um, So I prayed, and I was like, God, man, seriously, or woman, or non-binary, whatever you choose to call yourself, God, I assume you woke. Anyways, let's move on. Um, I hope, just give me a sign. I just, you know, it doesn't have to be anything, like, huge or extravagant. Just something to tell me that I'm on the right path, because this is my dream. Like, this is what I want to do. This I think this is what I want to do. And if I'm going to fail, let me fail miserably and I'll go back to school. And well, you know, I had like one credit from two years of school. So yeah, I'll be in school for another 10 years of my life, but then I'll do that. 
And I go up on stage and I have all these like basically like Eminem mom spaghetti uh, yeah. on the T-shirt. And um, I come out on stage and I get the plot. You know, here he is. Cool, you mock my pop lord. And that was it. That was it. I came out. I got the applause before I opened my mouth. And I was like, wow, this is the thing. Like this, this is, mm. this is it. Like this, you know, it was like something just clicked. And then I opened my mouth and I did my first bit. People enjoyed it. And then I got a gig in Stockholm. And at that time doing comedy in Stockholm, I was like the one black comedian in Stockholm. It was another one in Skåne, uh, where Jason's from, who did comedy too. Mm. But then it was like, we were the two black comedians in Sweden. Who was that? And uh, Khalid Gereira, I think his name is. Okay. Um, and I started doing, and then I started doing bits. I started doing like booking gigs out of different clubs. And the thing is, um, I'll be honest with you, you know, Ushers, yeah, yeah. yeah. Amazing singing. Thank you. Don't forget uh, anyways, about, li- don't forget about Little John when you talk about, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, what? <laughs> Little John made that. <laughs> yeah, he but that really, song yeah. every single time. That was your like, walk in, on when music? I started doing. Yeah. yeah, that was my walk on. Like every single time, I'd walk on, and it'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then my opening bit was like, because then I'd always start doing an ac- African accent. So like, mm-hmm. it's so it's so nice that you choose music that that uh, I can assimilate you to. So we start with the music, and after all, after this is done, we're all going to fuck to corrupt to crush racism. And people would laugh nervously. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And there's always one girl who's like, ah. <laughs> 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 it's so funny. Oh my God. Uh, so that was how it started out. I started out with like, um, my opening bit was that I'd, I'd be speaking African ac- accent for like two minutes, talking about how difficult it is to be a sweet, an African in Sweden. And then I'd switch over to like flawless Swedish. And people would be like mind blown. Because yes, yes. the basic essence of the joke and the idea behind it was like, we all have prejudice. That's the simple truth of it all. Like we, we, see, we see people and we judge them. That's what we do. And the thing I did with that joke was that I came up and I'm like, hey, I'm African. And nobody's going to be like, no, you're not. You're Swedish just like the rest of us. Oh, my God, dude. <laughs> so when I switched from an African accent to, in this case, an American accent or a British accent, um, they'd be like, oh, shit, oh, oh, wait a minute, whoa, like, what's what's going on? And for me, <laughs> yeah. I love, that's, to this day, I still think that is my most effective joke of, like, showing people, like, you have an idea about people when you see them, mm. but just wait a second, and maybe they'll prove you wrong. And that was the essence of it, and that started my career. Mm. It's incredibly powerful. Thanks for sharing. And, and, how, and, com- for sharing. and coming up, coming up in the com- uh in Swedish comedy, I guess we're talking what mm-hmm. mid late nineties, early two thousands. Early two thousands. My first early two thousands. The twenty third of August two thousand five. Wow, wow. Yeah. I love that you remember that still. But it's not that it's long ago. But <laughs> but differently for y'all. It's ping pong, man. You know, uh, <laughs> it's a back and forth, but. I but think it was last up. week. It was five years ago, man. It was five years ago. Okay, but, yeah. But uh, but how was it coming up in comedy then? I mean, did you you said there was you and one other comic, you know, that was uh, Afro Swedish? Like, was that was that ever any? Uh, did you ever encounter any kind of, uh, um, you know, from your colleagues and other comedians, any type of uh, prejudice, discrimination, or racism, or was it no? It's all good. I wouldn't say per se. <clears throat> and again, I'd have to say just because of the simple fact that 
if anything, I'd say like my biggest issue um, when I started up was I would always get compared to Amer- American comedians. So when I started up, mm. they were like, this is Swedish Eddie Murphy. Also mm. because, I mean, I know raw and delirious back to front, word by word, face by face, gesture by gesture. I mean, everything he did in these, because I watched them like, I don't know, a hundred times. Can I just say, I think <clears throat> delirious is actually better than raw in a way because raw was like so big worldwide. Delirious is like, Incredible! It's a young, young Eddie. So hilarious is unexpected. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to say. It's it's hard to say that one is better than the other. I would say they're just both timeless classics. Yeah, and I also think it's interesting to see the evolution of very, very. He was what twenty three when he did Delirious. I started doing stand up when I was twenty three. Our careers (laughs) went different paths, but um. It's interesting because he's very, very young and he's like in front of this huge audience. And for me, the most interesting thing and what I love about stand-up, if you do it really, really well, it feels like it's somebody just going up and like, yeah, so I thought about this thing the other day and you talk about stuff. You're just having a conversation with an audience. Um, whereas the reality is like, no, this is like, you know, a year of work. Like I've been, you know, I've been trying trial and error, trial and error. You, you try a joke, it doesn't work, it works, you keep it. You modify it, it evolves, it becomes something else on stage and it hasn't been in your mind. And maybe after like a year or six months, three months, you have an hour or you have 15 minutes or half an hour. And the magic in that, what I really love about it is living up to people's expectations. That's the best thing you can do before you break through. Like when you're just like randomly traveling around the country and people are like, yeah, and then there's this dude, Kojo, he's going to come up and tell some jokes. And you know, like I got half an hour that kills and you don't know this yet, but you're going to be like laughing, falling yeah. off your chairs laughing. And it's a powerful, wow. it's a powerful thing just to feel a confidence in your craft. I would say like uh-huh. the biggest deterrent for uh-huh. me in my craft has been success. Because when success comes, then you start getting all these expectations. And expectations are amazingly hard to live up to unless you're Dave Chappelle. So I think one of the things what's amazing with your craft, and, you know, we all three have different crafts, but I just feel like, I, I get, I'm going to say it like this. Before I opened Red Rooster, I went to so many Paul Mooney performances. Mm-hmm. And Paul Mooney, you know, for me, it's, it's like it's like grandfather. He just passed away. But such an incredible writer, right? Mm-hmm. Because the comedians, you make us laugh, but there's so much truth in it. So mm-hmm. I want to truly understand Harlem and understand sort of so many, like, tonalities and coding. And just go into uh, Paul Mooney's sets. You know, I just felt I learned a lot, mm-hmm. right? And I laughed, but I really oh. learned a lot. And I took, literally just taking notes. The other thing that's amazing with comedy is that it shows the plurethal of blackness mm-hmm. in a way. There's tonality. So music, of course, does that, right? Hip-hop, jazz, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Food, in a way, does that as well. But the end goal is to make us laugh. Mm-hmm. And you're showing us different paths. So many different, if you think about Kevin Hart's, mm-hmm. Jokes versus David versus Paul Mooney versus mm-hmm. yours. Those are completely different pathway to get to one sticky goal, which is make us laugh. Thank you for putting me in that company. No, but I mean, like, I just think that's amazing, right? And it's such a different pathway than saying, here's a dish mm-hmm. or here's some bars, right? It's just a completely different journey. It is so much harder than what you guys do. It, <laughs> it is really amazingly difficult. No, I think, <laughs> but, but really, but I also I think, think about all, stand-up comedy as if you bomb... Like you bomb, you know, if I, 
if I'm on stage and I forget my lyrics or the lyrics just aren't good I saw enough. It happen live. It was you know, amazing. <laughs> maybe the beat, you know, I have that beat yeah. to fall back on. At least that, yeah. you know, or like switch up the tracks or like mm -hmm. redo it. But you, okay, I'll start this verse over, do a rewind with the DJ. But as a comedian, like once people are not laughing and you tell a joke that doesn't work, that must be extremely difficult to, 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 to maneuver through and save. But I think, <clears throat> in all honesty, like there are two things I'd like to add to the discussion. Number one, I've never, I've never looked at me doing comedy as me personally doing comedy. I choose to see it. No, but I choose to see it more like, imagine a prism, right? You take a prism and you shoot light through it. If you just see it, it's just like this crystal. But when you shoot light through it, all of a sudden you get all these colors. Comedy, when it's at its best, you're just you're just you're, you're just projecting something wow. else. Cool. Like you're just nice. connecting to something. I think everybody who works, everybody who's had a conversation with your friends, you're sitting and you're talking, right? And you don't know what you're gonna say, but it's something you're gonna say that comes out, and your friends start laughing. As a comedian, you work a lot with finding that feeling of humor. That that. That in in like that in inherent like spiritual yeah. connection with something that blurts out and people laugh. Like you have a premise of like A, but then you come in with Z and people are like, ha ha ha, that's like the basic gist of it. And for me it's never been oh. something that I'm like, oh yeah, you know, comedy, you know, stuff, gig, blah, blah, blah. Plus you work with trial and error. Yeah. That's mm. like you I mean, you try, you make your dish. Yeah, you yeah, make sure. a dish. You make like, I don't know, you maybe take your name, you take some. Canadian bacon and some mashed potatoes and bananas and yeah. nuts and you serve it up and like this the is peanuts, African is food. Yeah, Flying like peanuts, Jacob. bananas. <laughs> eat it with your hands. It's but delicious. Can I ask you about the craft? Because when you took those six months out, mm -hmm. right? Did you then dedicate, okay, on Mondays I'm going to write or how? I mean, I look at like, you know, I love Jason's latest album, mm -hmm. right? I just think it's an incredible piece of sort of Maybe I'm too close to it, mm -hmm. but, you know, I was part of the journey when he did it and he was working on it. And here comes an album. But I know he, he really took time to write it and edit it. And, mm -hmm. and he's an artist for 20 years, right? Mm -hmm. But when you come up like that, did you know, like, okay, I'm going to hold up the mirror. I'm going to sit and write on Fridays. Or how did you really, how does that process of writing jokes or writing a narrative, how does that, how does that happen? Well, for all comedians, it's different, I would say. Uh, there are those comedians who are like, I sit down an hour and I write yeah. jokes. Uh, for me, since I grew up like watching a lot of Eddie Murphy and um, Robin Williams, yeah, those two. Mm. Um, mm. Genius. Eddie Murphy has this amazing, and Ed Murphy, and you can see, and especially Richard Pryor, I'd say Richard Pryor, you can see a touch of Richard Pryor in a lot of today's comedians. Like one mm. of Richard Pryor's bits is Kevin Hart's, Kevin Hart's whole career. Richard mm -hmm. Pryor's whole bit is Eddie Murphy's whole career. I mean, you can see Chappelle, mm -hmm. you can see... He's basically the James Brown of comedy, you can say. Exactly, like, exactly. And that's again, comes back to the whole prism idea of like, you know, you're, you're just a medium for something that affects and touches people. So maybe my color is pink, another co co person's color is green or blue or whatever. So for me, uh, when I started doing comedy, um, it was more about like, I like to call it the comedic brain. Like you all of a sudden... You're an observer of life. You're always observing life. You're always observing situations. And when I had my first kid, part of me was present in the moment. Another part of me was like, uh-huh, 
It's <laughs> funny because she's screaming and shit. That's, that's so funny. <laughs> Maybe I'll talk about how stupid I felt. You know, like a part of you is like just recording yeah. everything. And oh. then once you have a quiet moment, you sit down and you like deconstruct it in your mind. You start thinking like, okay, so how do I tell this story to make it maximum funny? And for me, I look at it more like I'm a storyteller. So I just go through life and I experience life. And in that experience, I find the jokes. And then if I'm joking about racism or if I'm joking about sexism or bigotry or just, I don't know, like going to swim in the pool when I was a kid, it's always about like, what's the experience? How do I tweak it? So it becomes something that's over the top and funny. I'll say like the difference between acting and comedy is like in acting, you want to make something so true that it affects the audience. Mm. Whereas in comedy, you want to you want to tell a story that is so outlandish and outrageous, outrageous that it's obviously a joke. Do you write in but, English but, or but, Swedish? Um, I never write. I, okay. I'm like Jay-Z, you know, I just go up and then <laughs> it comes out. <laughs> no, but, uh, no, but I, oh, I just, I have, like, I have, I have an idea of something and then I'll go up on stage and I'll try it. Or if I'm cheating, I'll have an idea of something. I'll be sitting with my boys and I'll say something and then they'll laugh and I'll make a mental note of like, okay, that's funny. And then I'll rework it so that it can but, be like something on stage. But Kojo, as an Afro-Swedish uh, comedian, in the beginning at least, a lot of your audiences are majority white audiences. Do you feel that there are certain expectations placed on you uh, because you are black? And secondly, do you feel any type of responsibility to talk about it or not talk about it? Or At the end of the day, I'd say like this. My Swedish experience may differ from a Caucasian ethnic Swede. But I mean, I've lived here my whole life. I speak the language, I know the culture. And then I have an other culture that I got at home. And for me, comedy and doing comedy for audiences has never been about... Because, okay, like in an American context, usually you can see Afro-American comedy comedians be like, you know, black people like this, but white people, they're all like, you know, what the fuck? Hey, fella, yeah. you know, there's this, there's a... There's a, there's, a, there's a line that you take where you make these comparisons between sure. different cultures in the United States. Whereas for me, I've always worked with like, I work with what you see. You see a black man, I'll tell some jokes about experiences I've had, like when I was out in the Swedish archipelago and then I'd joke about like, you know, because then there was, uh, the, you know, in Somalia they had like these boat pirates. Mm-hmm. So okay. then one of my jokes then was like, yeah, in the archipelago, everybody waves to each other. They're always like, hello, hey, hey. And my, and my idea was like, I guess everybody's waving because they're like, I'm rich. I'm rich too. You rich. I'm rich. I have a boat. You have a boat. I have a boat. We all rich. And then a black man would come in a boat and they'd be like, hey, hey, I'm you, you black. And I'm like, yes, I'm a boat pirate. I'll be right there. Come, slow down so I can please take over. I am the captain now. You understand? Come to me. I'll take your boat for you. Um, and it's the same thing there. I'm joking about something that's current yeah. a few years ago, but it's also about telling them like, I see you. Yeah. And you may have these ideas and it's fine. At the end of the day, like, I think in my performance, I don't try to make a point more than tell a story. And Mm -hmm. I remember when I told, like, when I was on the archipelago and I told this story, a dude comes up to me afterwards and he's like, I've been out here my whole summer, like my family has a house here that they had from my grandfather who bought an island and now we own it. Mm -hmm. But he's like, I've never considered what it would be for somebody else to be in this environment. And that's the whole essence and the point of my journey when we start the journey, when I go and do my set, it's like at the best of at the best of day in the best of days or in best of ways, you'll get the point where I'm trying to tell you like we all have different experiences, like whether you are rich or poor or 
thin or tall or short or whatever. We all have different experiences. This is my experience. And maybe that'll make you understand more about your privilege in your situation and how you don't have to go through the things I've gone through. So for me, it's never been like, I'm like, I'm going to teach these whites. I'm going to teach the whites all about their black experience and make them feel guilty. No, it's more like, I want you to laugh and I want you to be happy. And I want you to be able to think one more lap mm. about what the Swedish experience, what the human experience is. And that's how I always go about it. Like, I'm just going to go out, be fucking funny. And if you like me, maybe we'll start hating, hating black people. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. One thing, we also, both you and I, we also fathers of science. Mm-hmm. Yep. I got a Zion. You got a Zion. You got a Zion before I got a mm-hmm. Zion. Yeah. How's your Zion? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's actually, I think, the, I don't know if you guys do. Are they, are they the know, same age? They might be the same age. Mine's turning seven exactly. in 10 days. Okay. So two, he got two years on mine. Yeah. But I think that, I don't know if okay. you guys do this, but I don't know if like, if your daughter, if she's like, if Jason thought like, Daddy, I love you, and I think you're super cool. And you're like, yeah, more bars. That's what I was like for. I won't. <laughs> but for me, like, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I watch my kids to see if they're funny. Like, that's the most important part of, for me, with my kids, like, is the most important part of their character. Like, do you have that mm-hmm. thing that I, like, some, I would call it, like, are you a prism? Do you have that in you? And once in a while... They'll show like a glimmer of like comedy. Like my, I picked up my son the other day. Yeah. Right. And I pick him up from school and he comes and he's barefoot. And I'm like, why are you barefoot? And he's like, because I stepped in some water so my socks are wet. I'm like, okay, we'll go get your socks. So he comes and he gets his socks and I'm holding the socks and we're walking home. And I'm like, so like what happened? Like, why did you step in water? Because for those of you who don't do kids, there's never a logical <laughs> reason why they do things. But I also like to hear like, you know, for, try to understand the reasoning behind it. So I'm like, why did you step in some water? He's like, yeah, well, you know, I went to the bathroom and there was water all over the place. And I'm so why did you step in the water? He's like, I tried to avoid it, but then I stepped in it and it was all over the place. And I thought, ah, well, you know, it happened. So whatever. And I'm like, okay, so, and then I'm looking at the side. I'm like, <laughs> so like, okay, so you just randomly stepped in puddles. And he's like, well, that's not the whole truth. And I'm like, okay, what's the whole truth? He's like, I stepped in somebody else's piss. Ha, <laughs> 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 daddy. And you're like, he's I got, got you, it. Daddy. My son has got I it. I got you, daddy. You've been punked. Ha. And I'm like, ha, ha, ha. And part that's of me was though. like, yeah, a part of me was like, Ha ha ha, boy. That's that's funny. But we're gonna talk about this when we get home. <laughs> we're gonna talk about jokes. Oh, so okay. I think it's uh, the whole the same thing with kids. I mean, I try to tell them too. Like, since my kids are extremely mixed, my wife is half Russian. She's half Iraqi. Um, my parents are from Ghana. We've all lived here. I'm like, you're you know, Beautiful. you're you're a product of the world. Mm. Like, you know, you mm. you're Swedish, but you're also a product of the world. Like, you are in its finest essence, a massive journey. Like a lot of things had to happen for you to be here. So appreciate 
what you have and yeah. where you are in life. Because, I mean, hey, if my daddy hadn't left Ghana, I wouldn't exist. You wouldn't exist. And so on and yeah. so forth. Yeah. My wife's father, who's a partisan against Saddam Hussein and that you when Saddam tried to take over Iraq, you know, if he'd been stayed in the mountains, if he'd been caught, you wouldn't exist. My wife's great grandfather fought in the First World War, or first fought in the Second World War as a bomber. If, if that plane had crashed, you wouldn't be here. Like you have a huge history of people that all coalesce in you. And the least thing you can do, right? And, and I also try to tell them, even though it's seven, I'm like, whatever you choose to do with life, try to leave this place, this, this moment, richer and fuller than you did when you stepped into it. Because that's where I think at the end of the day, creativity, creativity and art, and whether it's food or it's music or it's comedy is about, it's about leaving the world just a little bit, in my case, happier and maybe a bit more thoughtful than I did when I stepped into it. So for me, the kids, they're the next step. And, like, and I'll also admit, I'm the classic hypocrite. They're like, I want to do comedy. I'm like, why don't you just go to school? <laughs> why don't you just get an economy education? Yeah. Why don't you just get an education? I'll be honest with you, son. Half of you is me. Half of you is funny. The other half of you is your mama. And that's the intelligent part. Go for the intelligent part. We don't know if funny is going to work out. So it's, it's fun and it's scary at the same time. Well, Kojo, uh, there's so many, there's so many incredible things in your life, but you also, one of the things I admire also with you is that when you go for an acting gig, sometimes you get it and sometimes you don't get it, which is life. Like mm -hmm. life is full with rejection, but you don't hide that. You don't, you, you talk about it. You yeah. said, I really wanted this gig, guys. I'm a little bit down. So you complete transparency on IG, right? Mm -hmm. Which I think is such a powerful tool because everybody wants to live their best life on mm -hmm. IG. And it's like, this is what I'm doing. This one, you're like, no, this is my 12th role that I went up for and I didn't get it. Mm -hmm. And so I just think that that's a, such a powerful tool, the way you share, you share basically all aspects. When did that sort of dawn to you? Like, yeah, I'm just going to share the nuts a great moment too. Well, because I think the contradiction with social media today is that everything is supposed to happen there and everything that happens there is true, which it is not. I also believe strongly in Jill Scott Heron's uh, speech, the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be on Instagram. And for me... I'm not on Instagram much. I don't post much. Like sometimes I post funny shit. Sometimes I'm just being like, you know what? Even for me in my position where like I've reached a certain level of success, it's a struggle because as a black man, as a minority in an industry that is majority, the majority of the people who have power in this industry are white. It's not like in the States where now they have to BLM. They're like, okay, let's make some changes. I think the problem we have in Sweden, especially in my industry, is that a lot of people think they're beyond that point. We're beyond the point of racism because none of us are racist. Like we checked every, we asked everybody in the office. I checked with John. I checked with Jimmy. I checked with Susan. Um, she left because John, whatever. But I mean, the people who are here uh, all agree uh, we're not racist. So therefore, so therefore we can't be racist. And I'm like, is any, but are there any minorities? Oh, 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 no, no. But if they were, they would not be welcome. No, but so for me, like, I've always, I've always thought like, it's important to tell people that even in my position, there are glass ceilings and there are struggles and I struggle. I continue to struggle. I'm never, I, I like to say like, I'm an, I'm an extremely lazy and unfortunately ambitious person. Like a part of me often just wants to give the fuck up. 
like, you know what? I'll just do radio. It's fine. I've done this for years. You know, I've, I've reached a level that, I mean, to be honest, people of color in this country haven't reached before in that medium. And mm. maybe that should just be enough. Whereas another part of me is like, your daddy took over a country. Are you going to, are you going to let your daddy win? Huh? He took over a country and you, 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 haven't even, you, don't, don't, you don't even have your first dictatorship. You are 40. <laughs> <laughs> so in a sense, I always feel like I have to continue struggling. And I think a part of any process, any process, any dream, any idea that you want to achieve in your life, the worst part, but also unfortunately, the most important part is the struggle. Because you, Jason, you talked about like, how is it when you bomb and nobody laughs? That's a part of the experience. Like that's what tells you, is this for you or not? Like if you can't handle going up on a stage and failing, then this is not for you because you fail. We all fail. We fail through life. We fail in our experiences. We as parents, we, we just, we don't know. We don't have a fucking clue what we're doing. I know. We're trying. You know. I'm sure yep. you do. I'm sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I totally agree with you, Kojo. And, and for me, also becoming a parent has added another uh, aspect of ambition. Or, you know, I want my daughter to see me uh, struggle, see me uh, have dreams that I'm reaching for. Whether or not I fail or succeed at them, I want her to see, you know, this is what a, a, a person looks like, acts like when they're trying to achieve something, when they dreamt mm -hmm. up some shit in their head that they're trying to attain. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. But this is how, this is how we pursue those dreams, you know. Um, so I can, really, I can really identify with that, um, exactly what you're Plus saying. Those kids are good at making you feel pretty good about yourself. Like I went, yeah. I went to an audition. In, but no, in none of States. us have had teenagers yet, though. You know? No, no, no. That, that, could, that, could, that could all change. I'll, like just, <laughs> I'll also be happy if my kids were only in the room. I'd be fine with that. I'm like, yeah. okay, I'll see you um, mm -hmm. five years. But mm -hmm. I remember I did an audition in the States and I didn't get the part. And my daughter at the time, she was three. And I felt, I mean, I felt bummed out like you do when you get a no. Um, oh, oh. So she's like, Daddy, why are you sad? And I'm like, well, because like Daddy tried to get a part for an acting to act in a thing. And Daddy didn't get the job. And she's like, well, that doesn't matter. because You're my daddy. And I'm like, oh, God, I'll go keep on struggling, baby. Don't you worry, daddy. Go keep on trying. So you can become an influencer when you grow up. Oh, no, you worry, baby girl. You would never have to work or nothing. Oh, maybe you become a Kardashian. I don't know. We can only hope. That's amazing. But Kojo, you've That's been amazing. at you've been at Swedish National Radio as the host yeah. uh, of the biggest one of the biggest radio shows in in the entire uh, country, uh, the morning show yep. on P3 for what twelve years, ten years, twelve and a half years, twelve twelve and a half years. Is acting is acting the next step? Is that what you're looking at expanding into, or is it something else? Or I want to do more acting. But in all honesty, um, fuck it. In all honesty, this is the thing. After BLM, after like Floyd, uh, after we all saw the video of like when he's being choked by the police and everything, um, I just felt like, you know, standing in front of a camera, I've been doing it for 12 years now. I've been in front of the microphone, I've been in front oh. of the camera, and I still haven't seen a change. Um, oh. I still haven't seen the change I wish to see at least in my country, which is Sweden. 
So like, I've always loved the idea of acting. I've always thought like, if I could act like full time, I'd love doing it, but you can't make a difference by standing on the floor of a company or an institution. You have to be at the top. So for me, now I'm starting to work more towards like, if I get an acting gig, I'll take it. But my goal is to work my way up in this industry and uh-huh. become, be in a position where I can be like, we need diversity because it was so important to me, honestly, growing up. And before, I mean, I became a celebrity or whatever. I listened to your music. And when I saw you for the first time on TV, Marks, I was like, oh shit, like this dude. Oh my God. Like it's, you can never understand the importance of being able to identify with somebody. And as long as you're a person who belongs to a majority, you can never truly understand the experience of seeing that lack of feeling mm. how you're not visible. You can't see yourself. You can't hear yourself. You cannot, you can't perceive yourself in the highest reaches of, in this case, the entertainment industry. So for me, it's always been acting, but now when I'm reaching an age that you guys were in like a bunch of years ago. <laughs> yeah, you just wait, That's brother. So good. You just in wait. And it's switching it up each time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, he's hitting us. He's hitting us. When you were there and you saw fire get invented and shit. Yeah. You know the feeling? Back in the 1900s. You people invent fire. Yeah, early. You were like, oh, Back my God, what is that? And like, it's fire, brother. Yeah. <laughs> you know no, but, when y'all but, did the know, exodus that, from Africa? The, but that's the Obama standard in a way, right? At, like, I know all of us, uh, or, or at least for me, you know, when somebody named Barack Hussein Obama became president of the United States, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, shit. Okay, this means that if you're just lucky, dedicated, intelligent, passionate, you know, if you're just this Superman or Superwoman, then you can actually, you know, sit in the Oval Office. It just mm-hmm. raised the bar for what uh, a person of color is able to do. Or, and he survived eight years. He wasn't mm-hmm. assassinated. Um, we're all you know, happy so, it happened. I think the Secret yeah. Service was shitting itself, but we're all happy it happened. <laughs> we got black like, people all over the world. We mm-hmm. were nervous. This is yeah. the thing that we know connected. Mm-hmm. We were all nervous about that, right? And just and that's right. have that thing. Yeah. You know, to be nervous about, uh, you know, it's just one of the things that, you know, I can't really describe it outside my own community because I didn't want to even put it out mm-hmm. there because sometimes you put stuff out there and it just happens. So it's like, it was one of these things that we all like, don't talk, even talk about it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But I also think like, just like you're saying, Jason, and, and the thing I would like to add, and this is a lesson, lesson I got from you, Jay. Uh, mm-hmm. We used to work together on this huge, like um, a show called um, Serious Request, okay. uh, where you, for one week you do radio and TV for different causes and you like, uh, it's like a charity event. Yeah, cool. And one of the lessons I learned there that I think is also extremely important to anybody who's watching now who's like thinking about pursuing your dream or whatever it is, be genuine. Like I remember when we started, because you do it for a week, around the clock for one week. I don't know if you remember this, but it was like day two and I'm like hype. I'm like, yeah, that's jokes and blah, 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 blah. And Jay would be like, no, just calm down and just be genuine. Like that's the only thing you need to do. You only need to be yourself, which is... A lot if for me as a comedian it's super difficult to just you know honestly be myself like i'm I'm not at home like jokes and jokes and jokes and shit I'm like you know sitting in myself mm. doing stuff screaming on my kids let it go let your sister go you better let, hey you will both go to bed right now unless you hit you better listen to me hey okay just I'm gonna call your mama I'll get your mama and she will tell you <laughs> that's me at home whereas like be genuine be genuine about your passion do not compromise with it Whatever your vision or your idea is, do not compromise. You're going to hit that fucking glass ceiling so many times. And you're going to be hit down and you're going to be put down. And 
I mean, the, yeah. you're going to feel like the world is just trying to stop you. And at these deepest, darkest, most difficult moments, just fucking rise up, stand up, and give it another shot. Just keep on giving it a shot. That's the least you can do. Well, speaking about giving it another shot and dreaming, uh, I know one thing that Jason and I can provide for you that's like, uh, that I've been thinking about is that, you know, in New York, in Harlem, there is a restaurant called Red Rooster. I've and heard of it. In the basement, food. in the basement, there is a club that should be called Jason, mm-hmm. but it's actually... <laughs> One Jason. day it will be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're working on it. And, yeah, I'm working uh, on it. <laughs> yes, but what, like, what we can say to you is that keep dreaming, and we would love for you to come to the States and do a set at Ginny's. At Ginny's. Uh, I got the food. I think Jason got the music. I know we got Hell the music. Yeah. Uh, we yes. do. We do. Like, we do the three. We do like twenty minutes. Uh, a Jason set, maybe, or a Rakim Walker set. But then it's forty-five minutes. Whatever you want to do. Yeah. Then mm-hmm. it's Kojo, and uh, Harlem's coming. Come out for you. So, so Scandinavian community's coming out. But I know Jason has performed us so many times. So they all, everyone in Harlem knows Jason, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's his house. Uh, and we just want to provide that, you know, open those doors for you because you deserve it. You've done the hours, you've made us all laugh, but also make us all think. And we're really, really proud and happy to call you our <laughs> friends. So see you in Harlem. Man. Yes. Yes, Kojo. Uh, hey, folks. I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. 